will be in Isaiah chapter 16, verses 3 through 6. That's found on page 652 in your Spanish Bibles and page uh, 579 in your English Bibles. As we're turning there, I was thinking about outcasts. Uh, Lonnie was an outcast. Lonnie was a little boy that was in my classes in elementary school. I don't remember exactly how long he was my classmate. I don't remember how many years I had him in class, but I remember him. He lived a few blocks down from me in a house that looked like it would fall down if a strong wind blew. His mom raised him alone. I had never heard, of it, heard him talk about his dad. He was always dirty, always smelly, and he brought lice to school periodically. The first time I ever saw a cockroach was in the fifth grade when Lonnie and I shared a locker. I opened the locker door one day and out crawled this hideous bug. You name it, Lonnie fit all the aspects of being an outcast. And even as a young kid, I knew that he was an outcast. I'm sure I wasn't always nice to Lonnie, I, but I do remember having compassion for him. And sometimes, sometimes we'd actually even play together because we lived not far from each other, just a couple blocks away. The first time I invited Lonnie into my house, I remember like it was yesterday. He goes, he goes, John, are you rich? And I laughed because we were far from rich. My dad was the pastor of a small church in rural Kansas. We weren't rich, but in his eyes, in the eyes of this outcast, I was like royalty. I lived like royalty. God taught me about loving and respecting others through my relationship with Lonnie. There are all kinds of outcasts in our society. Some like Lonnie who come from a broken home where one parent is left to do their best. Others are outcasts for all kinds of reasons. This morning we come to the outcasts of Jesus' genealogy. Outcasts because of their country of origin, outcasts because of their uh, professions, in a sense, outcasts because of their gender. This morning, we're looking at the women of Jesus' genealogy, sometimes called the mothers of Jesus. So let's read Isaiah 16, verses 3 through 6. Again, found on page 652 in your Spanish Bibles and 579 in your English Bibles. Give counsel, grant justice, Make your shade like night at the height of noon. Shelter the outcasts. Do not, revile, do not reveal the fugitive. Let the outcasts of Moab so, sojourn among you. Be a shelter to them from the destroyer. When the oppressor is no more and destruction has ceased, and he who tramples underfoot has vanished from the land, then a throne will be established in steadfast love. And on it will sit in faithfulness in the tent of David, one who judges and seeks justice and is swift to do righteousness. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that you welcome even outcasts into your kingdom. Lord, I pray that you would be with us today. Help us to think, what does it mean that you welcome outcasts? Not that you just welcome outcasts, but that your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, God in the flesh, became the son of outcasts. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So over the past three weeks, we've been in our Advent series titled The Family Tree. And we're looking at the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew, and then going back into the Old Testament to find what Matthew is wanting us to know and believe about Jesus. We've seen that Jesus is the son of Abraham, that we receive the promise of Abraham through Jesus, that Jesus is the son of David. We are given a good and just king in Jesus Christ. Last week we saw that Jesus is the son of exiles, and in that Jesus identifies with sinners to save them. And this morning we take a look at what is somewhat strange in the genealogy of Jesus. It's strange because in Jesus' day, the inclusion of women was highly unlikely. Matthew includes five women in his genealogy, Tamar in verse 3, Rahab in verse 5, Ruth in verse 5, and the wife of Uriah, who we know as Bathsheba in verse 6, and then Mary in verse 16, the mother of Jesus. And it's strange that Matthew includes these women in, in the genealogy because women's testimony was not valid in the court of law at that time. A woman's name in the Jewish genealogy was of little legal significance. So Matthew wasn't setting up a legal claim here. What's even more strange is that if you're going to include women in a genealogy of Jesus, if you're going to include women in a Hebrew genealogy, why these women? Where are the great Hebrew matriarchs? Where is Sarah and Rebecca or Leah? Where are they? These women wouldn't be the first choice to include. I won't go into too much detail, but uh, for those of you who know your Old Testament history, uh, Tamar as an interesting choice to include in a genealogy. Uh, Tamar was uh, uh, Judah. Judah was one of the 12 sons. She was Judah's daughter-in-law. The man that she married died, and then, uh, as was custom, the next brother was to become uh, his, her, her husband, but uh, uh, Onan uh, did not uh, do his... Uh, husbandly duty, and so uh, he was uh, struck down by God, and then so Judah was afraid to send his other son to Tamar, because thought something must be wrong with Tamar, uh, which nothing was. But then she tricked Judah, her father-in-law, into uh, having, her, having a, a kid by her, uh, who's Perez, who's listed in the genealogy. You also have Rahab. Rahab is also another interesting choice. Many of you know uh, Rahab had a uh, interesting profession in Jericho. Before the walls came down in Jericho, uh, Rahab was a, a prostitute. You have 
Tamar and Rahab, who were also Canaanites, enemies of God's people. You have Ruth, the Moabite, uh, an interesting choice. We have the book of Ruth, and we know uh, a good bit about Ruth. Uh, the interesting thing that she's a Moabite is that in Deuteronomy chapter 23, God actually bans the Moabites from the, Israel, from the assembly of Israel. The, Israel, the uh, Moabites were, um, were unhospitable to, to Israel when they were fleeing Egypt, and so God commands Israel to never let the Moabites become or into the assembly of Israel. And so they were banned from God's people. And then finally, we have Bathsheba, who, was, who married a Hittite. Uriah was a Hittite, which by marriage made Bathsheba a Hittite. Even though Bathsheba was likely an Israelite, we believe she likely was, but she married a Hittite. And so by marriage, she was then considered a Hittite as well. And so you have these women who, and as we know, Bathsheba, um, she was um, taken advantage of by King David. Um, it's uncertain how complicit she was in that. Probably not very much, seeing that David was the king and David got what he wanted. Yet, she was, her name would still be somewhat marred by the ordeal that took place between David and Bathsheba. So Matthew presents Jesus' genealogy with these women. These women who, in one respect or another, are outcasts of society, particularly outcasts of Israel, Gentiles. Why? I mean, why would Matthew do this? It really doesn't do Matthew much good, particularly in the eyes of the Pharisees, in the eyes of those who had a desire to see you know, Jewish lines of purity. He really doesn't do himself a favor in setting up who Jesus is. But Matthew probably has several reasons he does this. But one of the most glaring, one of the most easy to see, is that we're shown right from the very beginning that Jesus came for outcasts. We're shown right from the beginning of this genealogy that Jesus didn't come for the pure bloods, so to speak. Jesus didn't come only for the pure bloods. Jesus didn't only come for those who were of the right family. Jesus didn't come for only those who were had the right social status. Jesus didn't come for those who had the right whatever. Jesus came for outcasts. He came for those who were not welcome. He came for those who were not seen as important. And for us to understand the good news of great joy, we all have to understand that in some form or fashion, we are all outcasts. In some form or fashion, we are all outcasts in need of being welcomed in. Many of us are outcasts by birth. We are, many of us are Gentiles in this room. 
I think a few may be, be able to claim Jewish heritage. But for the most part, many of us are Gentiles. And so we were outside of these promises, at least in the way that Israel understood them. But Jesus comes and welcomes us in. As a son of outcast, Jesus welcomes us. And he welcomes us, we see in three ways in our uh, text today. He welcomes us protection, promise, and purpose. It's not, always, not every day that a preacher can get uh, all three <laughs> points alliterating. Protection, promise, and purpose. Protection in verses 3 through 4. Now, you might be wondering, John, why did you pick Isaiah 16 to talk about the outcasts in Jesus' genealogy, these women? Well, this Isaiah 15 and 16 is the oracle concerning Moab. It's Isaiah's prophecy about what's going to happen to Moab. And what's interesting is that, like I said, we have two of these women who were Canaanites, enemies of Israel. The Canaanites, by the time Isaiah come, come, has, was around, were pretty much long gone. They had assimilated into other, other nations. But the Moabites were still around. And as I said, Moab had an interesting history with, with Israel. And so Ruth was a Moabite. So we have three women who were um, and, for, and Bathsheba marrying a Hittite. We have four, people, four women who were connected in some form or fashion to enemies of God, enemies of Israel. The only woman listed in this entire genealogy, as we know, who was uh, of Jewish, pure Jewish descent, was Mary. And so going to Isaiah 16, Isaiah 16 is this oracle against Moab, concerning Moab, and so it seems, and I think you'll agree with me, proper to come here to look to see what is Matthew getting at by including these women. So first, protection, or as our uh, scripture said, uh, shelter. Verses 3 and 4. Give counsel, grant justice, make your shade like night at the height of noon, shelter the outcast, do not reveal the fugitive. Let the outcasts of Moab sojourn among you. Be a shelter to them from the destroyer. When the oppressor is no more and destruction has ceased, and he who tramples underfoot has vanished from the land. The Moabites, as I said, were excluded from Israel's assembly because they had refused to give Israel food and drink when they left Egypt. They refused to show hospitality to God's people. They also tried to curse God's people. And so God says that they are excluded from Israel's assembly. And, assembly, and yet, God in his mercy offers them protection and shelter in Israel. What's happening here is that Moab is being attacked. And everything is being destroyed in Moab. The cities of Moab are falling like, like, like flies. And Moab is coming to Israel. We see that in the uh, beginning of chapter 16. 
and asking if they can come, if they can flee to Israel, if they can find a place to rest, they can escape into Israel. And God, through the prophet Isaiah, responds, yes, you may come. You may come in and you may find shelter. You may find protection. He's telling the Israelites how they're to respond to, this cry, to the cries of Moab, to come. They are outcasts. They are sojourners. They are, they are fugitives from what is happening. And they are welcomed in. They are to be welcomed into Israel, to be protected. God says, come, find shelter. What's interesting is that Isaiah speaks God's words, and they're thoroughly consistent with what we see in Scripture. That in, in Isaiah's eyes, that the, the Lord has given him, Zion's strength is not in military resources. Zion's strength is in the Lord and the monarchy that, is to, that, is to, that will come, the divine promises that God gave to David that we heard, saw a couple weeks ago. And so Isaiah says, yes, you're welcome to come. God, through the prophet, says, yes, you're welcome to come. But this will, this, will, this will end. What you're experiencing will end. The destroyer will be gone. The oppressor will be no more. When the destruction has ceased, that's going to end. It's going to pass. But God's kingdom will endure forever. And, if, and Moab, if you're serious about wanting to come and find security, to find shelter, to find protection, then come and place your faith in the promise, King. Come, put your faith in the Lord and find protection in the promises of David. Well, we see these women, these women who were all outcasts, were welcomed into God's family because they did what Isaiah calls Moab to do. Yes, they found shelter and protection in Israel, right? Tamar, a Canaanite, she comes into God's family, finds shelter and protection as a woman in that day needed to have a family to have protection and shelter. Rahab, who is in Jericho, escapes the destruction of Jericho and finds shelter and protection in Israel. Ruth, the Moabitess, comes into Israel with Naomi to find protection and shelter. These women come into Israel for protection and shelter. Unfortunately, we see in similar cases that they're not always treated the way they should be to find protection and shelter. But most importantly, they find protection and shelter from, from God's judgment, from God's wrath. They're welcomed in to the family. They're welcomed in to find protection and shelter. You know, as we think about welcoming 
the sojourner, the outcast, the fugitive. We as God's people need to take seriously God's command to Israel to welcome, to provide protection, to provide shelter to those who are in need. That can be those in our own country who for whatever reason the Lonnies of this world who need family, who need help, who need to be served. To the sojourners of this world who are here sojourning from another country, like many of our brothers and sisters who are here with us today, that we are to welcome provide shelter in their need. Just as these women of God's, of Jesus' genealogy were welcomed and provided the shelter and the protection that they needed. Second thing we see is a promise in verse 5 that they are, that Jesus welcomes as the son of outcast, Jesus welcomes us in into the promise. Verse 5. Then a throne will be established in steadfast love, and on it will sit in faithfulness in the tent of David, one who judges and seeks justice and is swift to do righteousness. Isaiah offers Moab and offers anyone who would come. He offers them an un changing God. His steadfast love. That is the word hesed in Hebrew. That is the Lord's covenantal love. His unchanging love. His commitment to his people and to his promises. His steadfastness. His being unmoved by changing times or experiences. His undeviating even when they undeviating from his promise even when his people proved faithless. As Sally Lloyd-Jones puts it, it is God's never-ending, never-giving-up, always and forever love. That's his hesed love that Isaiah welcomes us into, the promise. Paul puts it this way in Galatians 3, verses 27 and 29, through 29. For as many of you as we're baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. You see, Isaiah is saying to the women in the genealogy, to those in Moab and to us, the promise is yours. If you come and believe, believe in this king that will come, that we know has come in Jesus Christ. If you believe, if you come and you give your life, submit to him, submit to his goodness, his righteousness, to his love, to his mercy, submit to him, submit to all that, you 
are heirs of the promise. You are heirs of God's covenant promise with Abraham, as we talked about a few weeks ago. You are grafted in to God's people. By being grafted into God's people, you are God's children. Sons and daughters of the King. Come, Isaiah says, and receive the promise. These women in the genealogy, by coming in and being engrafted into Israel, Gentiles spaced throughout Jesus' genealogy, reminding us that and, and, and the people that first read it, every time you read their name, oh yeah, Jesus came for the outcasts. Oh yeah, Jesus came for Gentiles. Oh yeah, Jesus came for the other. And the promise is for us and for them and for anyone who comes. These women who were outside of the promise of Abraham... We're brought in to that promise through faith in the God of Abraham who reveals himself in Jesus Christ. They were not a people. Now they were God's people. They had not received mercy but in Christ they received mercy. They were given a new name. They were given a new history, a new story. And that is the promise that God gave to Abraham and gives to all those of Abraham's offspring that come through Jesus Christ. So it's protection, promise, and finally, purpose. Verse 6. I'm sorry, verse, verse 5 again. Then a throne will be established in steadfast love, and on it will sit in faithfulness in the tent of David, one who judges and seeks justice and is swift to do righteousness. There is a perpetual kingdom, Isaiah says. The throne established, contrast that with what's happening in Moab, what they were experiencing, the fickleness of human political fortunes. Folks, what a better time than this to hear these words from Isaiah and remind us that whatever is happening in this country or that country or other countries around the world, whatever is happening in the political realm, it's all fickleness. In contrast, to the everlasting establishing the throne of Jesus. Notice that Isaiah, God through Isaiah, doesn't say, Oh, Moab, what you're experiencing, don't worry about it. Yes. Wrestle with what's happening in your, in your country. Wrestle with what's happening in the, 
political world that's going on, but don't let that get, be your focus. Don't let that be where your purpose comes from. Don't let that be where your hope is found. Your hope is in the Lord, the God of Israel. Your hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ. The king, Isaiah reminds us, will rule in faithfulness, justice, and righteousness. This is the promised restoration of the Davidic line. This is the promise of Jesus. Isaiah offers to the Gentiles the messianic best, the best that Jesus can offer. He wants us to know that the promise or the purpose is for God's kingdom. And if they come into Israel, if they come and find their protection, if they come and find the promise, they come under this king. Isaiah is telling them and us that there is a purpose. There is a purpose in living for the king under his righteous rule. Right? This king will establish, this established steadfast love will be, will be faithful, will be a just judge who seeks justice and is swift to do righteousness. You see, those who are of the king in the kingdom live out the purpose of the king. These women, and the, how God placed them in redemptive history, lived out the purpose of the king. We see that throughout. We particularly see it in the story of Ruth, who, in a real way, was Naomi's redeemer. At the end of the book, we read that the women praise Naomi, say, Ruth is better than seven sons. Ruth has redeemed Naomi by her faithfulness to the God of Israel. Mary fulfills the purpose. My soul magnifies the Lord. For he has done marvelous things. Mary, who can't believe, has no idea how this is all going to work out, but can't believe that the Lord would allow her to be a part of his great purpose and his kingdom. You and I have been welcomed into the kingdom and are called to this purpose of living in our lives, in every realm and every sphere of our lives, what the king has come to do, to live in faithfulness, to seek justice and righteousness. In all the spheres of our lives, this is what the call of us is, the purpose that we've been given under the king. What's sad 
is that Moab rejects this offer. In verse 6, we read, We have heard of the pride of Moab, how proud he is, of his arrogance, his pride, and his insolence. In his idle boasting, he is not right. Therefore, let Moab wail for Moab. Let everyone wail. You see, Moab, we find out, is not willing to come on God's terms. They want to come on their terms. But God says, no, you come on my terms. But when you come on my terms, there is much protection. There is a great promise. And you will be given a great purpose. If you're here today, and you have not come into the kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ by faith in Him. Do not be like Moab. Do not sit in your pride. Do not sit in your fear. Come to the King. And he welcomes. He welcomes you. No matter who you are or what you've done, he welcomes you and wants to give you protection and his promise and a purpose. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you and praise you for your word. We thank you for your protection, the protection of your son, Jesus Christ, of his kingdom. Lord, we thank you for the promise that we have in him. Lord, that we are your people. That we are part of your family through Jesus Christ. And you've given us purpose to live for our King. Lord, may you, may you be with those who are wrestling with this message this morning, not knowing whether they can be welcomed in. Lord, by your Spirit, impress upon them your great welcome. Lord, for those of us who might be struggling with welcoming Help us to welcome because we have been welcomed. Help us to show the hospitality that we have been shown in Christ Jesus. Lord, help us to live out the purpose that you have given us. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.